Well, hello. Welcome back to Out of Curiosity, our podcast where we are looking for biblical clarity for modern questions. I am Garland. And I am Cameron. Cameron, joining us from Portland uh, once again. And uh, uh, today we got a a question that I actually hear pretty regularly. And here's how the question goes. Um, The question is usually asked something like this. Um, When we look into the Bible, we see you know, God speaking to people all over the place. It'll say, thus saith the Lord, or uh, Yahweh says this, or the Lord says this. And even in the New Testament, we have uh, people speaking on behalf of God. God told me to do this. Paul says he was gonna go east, and he went west because he had uh, a word from the Lord. And the question just, I think, arises in the modern world is, is that a normative expectation for Christians? Like, does God still speak to us? And if so... How, how would we know? Like, what would that look like? And I think maybe one of the ways that it can be problematic is, um, I, I'm, I'm not sure about up there in the Northwest where you are, but in the South, uh, it's very common to hear language about sometimes even relatively trivial kinds of things we might say, like, um, a God told me to tell you, or God oh, yeah. said to me, or I was reading my Bible and God spoke to me, or we're language that sounds, uh, we use language like, uh, God really laid this on my heart, dot, 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 to tell you. So should we take that seriously? Is that real? What does that look like? Different church traditions have different answers. So Cameron, help me sort this out. I will try my best, my friend. Um, <laughs> yeah, so... I, what I would want to say out of the out of the gate on this is, first of all, that God is sovereign. The God of the of the Scriptures is uh, completely capable of doing whatever He wants to do. He can speak through absolutely anything, and there are some wild stories of Him speaking in some some wild ways in uh, the Old and New Testaments. Um, usually, when people start talking about this stuff, like does God speak or does He not? Usually, the conversation pretty quickly drifts into conversations around spiritual gifts and maybe most specifically the prophetic. Um, I'm guessing if you're listening to this, you've maybe even wrestled through, like, what should I think about prophecy today? Um, so this is wading into this larger conversation about, do, do these gifts that we see, sometimes the ones called the sign gifts, these overtly miraculous gifts of the Spirit, things like prophecy or a word of knowledge or even healing, things like that, are they for today? Um, where I would want to start in this conversation is to say, um, and, and you know, and, well, here's what I'd say. That's a live debate. There are all kinds of different theological right, traditions that right. come down on different sides of that. Um, that's not really going to be our focus today. Um, what I would say is this. One, one helpful starting place is 1 Corinthians 12, 29. Listen to Paul. He says, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret but earnestly desire the higher gifts. So, you know, you got to filter this through your theological grid or framework, but what Paul is saying here uh, with those questions, the answer is presumably no. Everyone is gifted differently. Um, So even if you are open to the gifts of prophecy, I'll put my cards on the table, I am personally. Um, But even if that is the case, uh, I may not be a prophet. I may never experience the gift of prophecy. That is up to God as he sees fit. So the question of what should the average believer who is perhaps not gifted in these ways, what should they expect in terms of hearing from God if we can't go directly to the prophecy question? What's up, Garland? Well, what I'm hearing is there's a really important conversation that dovetails into the question, is God, does God still speak to us, still speak to us? And it's the question of, does he still, still speak through these particular giftings or particularly gifted people in the church? And you're saying, 
Different debate, different conversation. Yep. Um, okay, so you're not giving me any help on that one. Yeah, let's just um, punt the whole thing like today. So, so we're just not even going to look <laughs> into that at all. So, uh, so how are we going to have this conversation if we're not talking about you know gifts or the spiritual gifts as we see them in the New Testament? Then what should a normal, regular, run-of-the-mill just Christian expect for the Creator God and speaking to Him or her? Yeah. So I would say let's let's start by just considering the book of Acts. Acts is a, an important place to yep. go here because it kind of serves as the gateway into the church age or the age of the new covenant in which those are churchy ways to put this. The age that we live in, uh, Acts is kind of the, the transitional point from what came before into what is now. Um, and so when we look at the book of Acts, we see all kinds of things. God is speaking in many ways across the book, including what you and I might call the booming voice from heaven. Um, you think of like, uh, gosh, Paul on the road to Damascus, just getting struck down with this audible uh, communication from God. He's able to articulate exactly what was spoken to him. It's, it's a fascinating and powerful picture. But through things like that, but then also like dreams and visions, I suppose that dovetails with Paul there. Um, mediated through angels, we see angels bringing divine messages. We see mediated through, again, spirit-filled prophets, people that the Holy Spirit is filling to then carry out a divine message. So if I'm reading Acts, I might suspect then, I mean, what you're articulating, and, and I've read it before, and if you haven't, it's a narrative of what kind of happened in the early church. Um, but if I'm reading Acts, I'm, I'm hearing a lot of, God speaking, God revealing, God directing, at least in this book, it sounds like. Yeah, absolutely. So the question, where the, when you start talking about Acts, the question that immediately comes up is just how uh, prescriptive is this for us? You've probably heard prescriptive versus descriptive. Is this merely a description of a time that was just so unique in history that like, ah, we, you know, it's useful as a description of what happened then, but it doesn't really give us any tools for understanding what life is like now. Or is it meant to be prescriptive in a sense that we should be expecting to see these exact same things and, and so on and so forth. Uh, that's where we're going to spend a little bit more of our time here before we turn the corner. Okay. Um, so what I would say um, about how this divine communication plays out in Acts is a few things. First is, we very interesting. We almost always see divine communication related to furthering the gospel message about Jesus. Um, second, we almost always see it, not exclusively, but almost always see it pretty intimately connected to the ministry of the apostles. So what I mean by that is they were almost always present when these kinds of divine communication acts, either it's happening to one of the apostles or the apostles are in part of the group that's there, or they're the ones through whom like the, the action is sort of centered. Um, so it's connected to the apostles, um, or they're there to validate it and to say, yes, this is the, this is legit. When I, when I look across the, the Bible, like, of course, when we look at Acts or we look at the ministry of Jesus, sometimes even our Old Testament, we have these big thunderous moments. But if you think about it, and, and is this, would you say that this is uh, maybe instructive for us, that these big kind of momentous revelations of God, they tend to cluster, if you've noticed. They cluster around Moses and the rescue of God's people from Egypt. They tend to cluster around the prophets in the Old Testament, communicating the idolatry and injustice of the people and the judgment that's coming, but also the hope that's coming. And then they tend to cluster around uh, Jesus and his followers in the early church, almost as if when God is doing 
a, a dr- drastically new thing, we tend to see, uh, which maybe that's what we would expect, more of God's sort of uh, unusual revelation. And it could very well be the case that there's a ton of people in the pages of the Old Testament that aren't recorded that are just living their lives, kind of normal experience. And in these kind of these unusual times, we see now, okay, we're going to have this experience where God is doing something new or extraordinary. Is that a fair way to present it? Is that, is that, am I hearing what you're saying? I believe that's a very fair way to, to, to see it. Okay. Where it gets interesting is when you think about Acts, Acts more or less you know, covers the span uh, of time during which the other New Testament writings were written by and large. Um, And so the question is, when we look at Acts, it becomes more complicated to say, was this just kind of a a tight historical moment? Or are we meant to see this again as like this doorway into how things will normatively be? Uh, When we look at the Old Testament, we can see more of those kind of fixed points where there was dramatic kind of supernatural activity kind of in these clusters. It just gets a little bit more complicated when we think about the New Testament. And I think that's why these these debates rage, man. They rage. Right, right. If we look at Acts then, it's, it's, we might say we have a question mark as we look at the book. Um, it, these, are, these are centering in on what you're calling the apostles, the followers of Jesus who are bringing the New Testament church uh, to bear in the world. Okay. So what I also want to highlight, though, is that in Acts, there are other ways that God communicates. He, we've already mentioned numerous ways, but even ones more subtle than the things we've been mentioning Um you know, sometimes God communicates through things like, think about the Jerusalem Council's letter to Gentile believers. This is in Acts 15, if you don't know that story. And in verse 28, it says, For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements. And then they go into what those requirements are. What you have here is the key Christian leaders in Jerusalem trying to make a very, very, very important decision about what they should call these other believers to in terms of faithfulness to Jesus. And the way they articulate how that decision came about, how even God worked with them through that, is this pretty subtle language. Let me say that phrase one more time. It has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. So what what they're saying is that they evidently did not experience audible speech. I think if God had just spoken audibly, they'd say, God told us, you know, (laughs) here's here's what he said. But they say, uh, thus saith the Lord. Yeah, that's right. Um, but here it's not exactly that, but they're acknowledging some kind of more subtle and perhaps non-discursive, you might say, form of communication from the Holy Spirit um, that I, I actually think we see in some other New Testament passages. Um, wh- here's, here's my main point here. What I love about the picture Acts gives us in the New Testament as a whole is this idea that they were precise with their language. So whenever someone okay. heard the booming voice of God, they could articulate it. They could describe it. Uh, they could say, this is what happened. It's, it's one of those thus saith the Lord moments. But whenever what they're experiencing and they have the sense that the Holy Spirit of God is leading them, but they don't want to quite speak of it in those kinds of bold terms because it's not accurate to what they've experienced, they use accurate language. They say, it seemed good in our wrestlings and our mm-hmm. deliberations and getting our wisdom together and checking it against the scripture and so on and so forth. It seems as though the Holy Spirit's been leading in this decision. I just find that... A- a horribly, incredibly, amazingly important, subtle point that that the New Testament, mm-hmm. I think, wants to teach us about how we talk about these things. So within the book of Acts itself, even within that narrative where we do have these amazing demonstrations, we might say, of God revealing himself to people, even there the language is really 
careful and nuanced, mm-hmm. we might say. Okay, yep. okay, okay. So what else does that mean then for, so we've looked at Acts. What about the rest of maybe the New Testament or the rest of uh, the, the time of the church as we find ourselves in right now? Yeah, well, what I think is fascinating is, so again, if we, if we can set down this conversation about uh, spiritual gifts and say, does the New Testament give us a lot, of, a lot of track to run on in terms of what the rest of us, uh, maybe people who aren't gifted in those ways, might might expect to experience? I think there's some really powerful things. I, I'd maybe just highlight three verses here that come to mind for me. The first I think of is in Romans 8.16. Just listen to this. This is a pretty popular verse. I'd be surprised if you hadn't heard this at some point or another, if you've been a, a Christian for any amount of time. Paul writes, the Spirit himself bears witness with or to, I think to is the better translation here, bears witness to our spirit that we're children of God. Okay, you read that, oh, that's a nice thought. Yeah, yeah, we're children of God. I've heard that before at Sunday school or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) But what, just let the weight of this sink in. The spirit himself, Paul even seems like radically impressed with what he's saying here. The spirit himself, the, the eternal spirit of God, bears witness, communicates in some way to our spirit that we're children of God. So what we have here is, and again, notice the subtlety of communication. He doesn't say speaks to us or speaks to our ears or um, whatever. He's specifically saying this is some kind of communication to our spirits, to to Mm -hmm. this immaterial part of us. So it's not going to be received the same way as we might through our ears and through the normal mechanisms we might associate hearing something with. Um, and yet it's this powerfully profound message about our adoption right. into the family of God, our eternal security, um, our belovedness by our heavenly father and so on and so forth. Yeah. Our confidence in this passage, he's talking about our assurance that the work of the spirit is, is active in us, securing our redemption, securing our new standing in Christ. And he's saying, there is, a, there is an internal, the spirit now dwelling in us, the, the manifestation of the creator God speaking to, reassuring our own spirit within us. And I guess later on in the very same chapter, he's going to say sometimes we don't even have words to say the spirit is at work communicating in us. That is a really interesting thought. Okay, that's the first one. Okay, what's the, you said there were three. What's the second yeah. one? And I, this isn't exhaustive. These are just three that I've found compelling and, and particularly clear in some ways. Another one comes from Philippians 3.15. It says, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, listen to this, God will reveal that also to you. So he's talking about, we won't have to get into all of it. He's talking about basically the, the teachings that Paul's delivering that are in accordance with the kind of maturity he wants to see them grow into. And he's like, look, if you think otherwise, if you haven't yet kind of come to the realizations that I have on these things, which have been placed there by God, God's going to reveal that to you. He's just trusting. Like imagine this, the Apostle Paul writing this authoritative mm-hmm. letter. He's just trusting that, yeah, God will bring you up to speed. He will do it directly. God will reveal that mm-hmm. to you. Um, mm-hmm. And what's interesting about this language here, he uses the language of revelation, but that's pretty. That's a pretty broad and vague term. Revelation can take on the forms of any of these things we've noted. And so, um, you know, it could be from the kinds of things we saw in Acts or something far more subtle, this kind of to our spirits, a bit ineffable, but, you know, sort of an impre- mm-hmm. internal impression. Um, it's left mysterious for us, but it stands out um, even in this generally mysterious context of what we're talking about. It's, it's something right. that's supposed to give us confidence. Like Paul says this because he has confidence. 
God will reveal to his children the things that they need to continue to grow into maturity as we abide in him. We should take a lot of confidence in that. So Paul has a confidence there. He doesn't seem weirded out by that. He seems, he seems to be relatively confident that that will happen in this, this uh, young little Philippian church uh, in the northern part of Greece. Okay, what's our third, our third reference? Third one comes from 1 John 2, 27. It says, but the anointing, and he's referring to the Holy Spirit there, the anointing that you received from him abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. So there's speaking to some kind of direct teaching ministry of the anointing, the Holy Spirit, that probably has the character of confirming and reminding us of the truths that have been taught by Jesus and that we received as kind of a basic deposit of our faith when we came to faith. And so um, he's it, it, this kind of communication from the Spirit is probably best thought of as bringing things back to memory or something like that. So again, this is the divine communication to the believer but it takes on just this more subtle quality. It's using the faculties of our memory and the things that have been spoken to us that he can kind of recall and bring back. Um, and it's very fascinating. So maybe a cross-reference there. Is that sounds like very similar language to John uh, chapter 14, 15, and 16, the Gospel oh, of yeah. John, when Jesus is saying, the Spirit, I'm, I'm going to send you my helper, the, the, uh, the helper, the advocate, whatever, however we translate that, and he will be with you and he will bring to mind, he will call to your mind to remember the things that I have taught you. Okay, so... So you're giving us maybe almost like bumpers on a bowling alley. Like uh, if you want to shoot a high score for me, at least I've got to put the bumpers <laughs> in. Otherwise, I'm going to have a ton of gutter balls. So the bumpers of the bowling alley, we might have something like um, there is a there is something unique when God is um, breaking new ground or doing something new in the world. And we, we see those clusters in the scripture, including in the ministry of Jesus in the early church. But then when it comes to a normative, we might say, experience of just regular believers, the New Testament seems to indicate that there it, 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 there's an ability for the Spirit to speak to our spirit or in conjunction with our spirit or to reveal things to our heart. Now, this brings up the key question then. Uh, this is probably where... People listening to this one, I bet we're going here. They're okay. like, just get um, to it, man. <laughs> just just, get, just tell me what I'm supposed to do here because it goes one of two ways. I guess one of two ways. On the one hand, um, I think that I think some Christians feel as if they're not part of the special group that, that God, mm. like almost like God is weirdly silent to them. Um, yeah. And I'm not hearing you say that. We have some distant uh, deity way out in the sky and who's incapable of, of speaking to us. And when we look at the New Testament, if, if you haven't wrestled through this and you're a Jesus follower listening to this, what happens in Acts chapter 2 is uniquely profound. What happens in Acts 2 is the, the realization that the glory of God, the manifestation of Yahweh, the creator's presence on earth, is not in a temple or a tabernacle. It is actually abiding in each individual believer, each Jesus follower. That is a profound thought. And what I'm hearing you say is that comes with some... Uh, implications um, yeah. to this question. So the other side, though, becomes this. I can see, and we've seen this throughout history, I can see somebody wielding language like, God told me. Mm -hmm. Now, on, a, on kind of a more uh, silly example, frequently, especially in the South, down here where I am, when people 
end relationships, dating relationships, like in high school and college. Oh, this is Oftentimes, good. Uh, God is the one who apparently told them to do that, <laughs> and usually that person is dating somebody else in a few months. Um, so it's a convenient out to a relationship, and that can be really hurtful. And I've got tons of examples of people who had that happen to them. Um, but even more probably serious than that would be, we've seen people employ God told me language and done some really abusive things in the name of God. So how would you coach us on this just pastorally? Yeah, well, maybe I'd start a little bit further back and just give some, given all that we've talked about, a few guardrails. Um, First, I would say is have confidence in these promises, like especially these three texts. I think they're for everybody. Um, So have confidence that God does want to communicate with you. Um, He does want to, to lead you into new things. I mean, everyone who believes the New Testament broadly would say that, yes, the Spirit of God is teaching us in some form or fashion. Here are some specific ways we can specifically look for. And then maybe secondly, it's it's learning how to cultivate the ability to, quote, listen. And I, I, I use that in quotes because we're not talking about audible speech. We're talking about a, a discernment process for something that may even be this kind of again, subtle, ineffable thing that's spoken to our spirits, so to speak. Um, so how do we cultivate those skills? How do we, how do we, again, to use, we have to speak in metaphor around these things, but the ears to hear. Um, but then a third thing we've already talked about, I think, I think the New Testament leads us, and this is starting to touch on what you're asking me here. We need to have precision in how we speak about these experiences. So Again, for me, I have, a, I have a high degree of openness toward whatever God might want to do, especially, uh, I mean, I have close relationships who've relayed some incredible things. You hear incredible stories about frontier missionaries and those kinds of settings where it's like, wow, God's doing something really new and really powerful. This right. is amazing. Um, so I have a, a fundamental openness. I just want myself and I want everyone to be precise in their speech. If you're describing one of these sort of subtle experiences that you might call an impression or kind of a subtle leading that you're trying to discern from God, speak of it that way. Please speak of it that way. Um, if you ever experience, I had, I never have. But if you experience the booming voice from heaven, I want to hear about it. I suspect if you did, you'd fall on your knees and you would weep and you would you would be shaking as you told me that. I don't think you'd be kind of <laughs> kind of tossing it off like, oh Flipping, yeah, God, yeah, God told me in the yeah. shower, blah blah blah. It's like, what yeah, do you yeah, really yeah. mean by that? I think that right. is. Right. Such an important part. And that's how we can build healthier church cultures that, A, don't make people feel like they're missing out on some kind of direct line of audible communication to God that it seems like everyone else has and how they talk about it. Um, when in reality, we're probably all more likely experiencing similar things that we just need to be able to put accurate and precise language to. Yeah, that I think that's really helpful. That's really clarifying. And um, I think what I'm hearing is even within the text of the New Testament, but even pastorally in, in our church world today, precision and nuance and language matters. And so um, there's a lot of confidence and hope, I think, in what you've kind of helped us see and and some clarification. And so uh, we hope this is helpful. Uh, as always, uh, thanks for listening to Out of Curiosity. 